0: So my NDE is from 2008, and I am a little bit different in the fact that I actually committed suicide. So I was going through some really tumultuous things in my life personally, but I also had lived 38 years of what I call victimhood, where I truly believed life was happening to me, not for me. And as such, I lived a life of thinking that I was always being harmed by others, by life, by situations. And life just kept mirroring that for me, of course. Um, That's what it does. And that reflection just got more and more painful. And it's not that there was any one major thing that was the driving factor in this, there were many things that led up to this, um, but I lived with a mentality of if life doesn't go my way, there's always the opportunity where I could go to plan D. And for me, plan D was what I referred to as suicide. I now of course realize that's not a normal and rational thing to think. Um, but I lived with that plan D and whenever life got too heavy or too hard or felt like it was coming after me, the mind would just cope with it by saying, you'll be okay, we can always go with Plan D. So that's kind of what led up to this and me getting more and more depressed and anxious with medications they were giving me in a new country I had moved to. um, There was just a lot going on that led up to the plan D finally coming into an action plan versus just something that I philosophized or um, had suicidal ideations about. So that carried on for several months. And as it built up, I didn't have a date in mind. I just had started to store away medications from all the doctors that I was seeing to try and treat the anxiety and the depression. And rather than take them on our schedule, I just started storing them. And I had sleeping pills and anxiety pills and you name it, they had given it to me. And when I realized it was just making me sicker and sicker, I just started sticking them in one bottle. So at some point, I ended up with a bottle full of these medications. And one day, it was just that day that said today is the day. And... So many things happened that day. I've covered a lot of these in different interviews, so I don't want to repeat a lot of what I've covered, but I will say that those of us who are truly suicidal and have real desire to commit suicide are not dealing with a rational thinking set or set of thinking. The influencers coming from our thought patterns are not healthy. They're not well. Um, And they are guiding us in a way that could be harmful. And that's actually what was happening for me. And I was just following. I wasn't questioning any of it. I felt like it was telling me what to do versus the other way around. So this built up to me one day waking up and saying today is the day, thinking, irrationally, let's get photographs with my family today. It's a beautiful sunny day. They'll have those to reflect upon one day. Just not normal thinking. Um, But in my mind on that day, this was going to be something they would also remember and have that memory of. And I gathered all of the suicide notes I had been writing over the years. I'd been collecting them. And I took a pad of paper to write the the final ones that I hadn't written and made my way out, told my family I had an errand to run, had an excuse to be gone, even overnight if needed, and off I went. I didn't have a location picked out. I didn't know exactly how all this was going to come together, which to this day I think is hilarious as long as I had kind of ruminated about this plan D But on the way, driving around, trying to figure out where I might go on this little tiny island we lived on in the middle of the ocean in New Zealand, I stopped at the liquor store and I got pre-mixed gin and tonics, which I wasn't a drinker. Still to this day, don't know why I picked that one, I think, because it just looked clear and easy. And I had my medications, my notepads, my pillow, my blanket, and my SUV, and up into the areas I went knowing that there were beautiful overhangs of the ocean so I brought my body there drove my SUV onto this lot that it looked like it had just been leveled for construction but there were enough trees to kind of drive in and have a little complete sanctuary overlooking the ocean and it was about sunset time at this at this stage um, and Started slowly writing the final letters that I needed to write and taking the pills and the alcohol very slowly as I continued to do that. I had a stack of them sitting on my dash and I remember the last one that I wrote was to whoever was going to find my body. I felt really strongly about that. That's why I didn't want to do this in my home or around my home area. I just didn't want anyone to have to deal with that. So that was the very last note that I wrote. I put all of them on my dashboard and I thought to myself, I'm starting to feel the effects of what I've put into my body. Again, not being a drinker or a drug user, I just felt very um, much tired, like I wanted to lay down and go to sleep. Um, but at the same time, I was starting to feel odd in my body. It's the only way I can explain it, like something wasn't right. So I thought I would better get out and take a quick bio break and then get into the back of the SUV because I knew I had to use the restroom. So I started to get out of the SUV and I realized, oh boy, we're way past this. My legs weren't taking hold. I was like a noodle at that point. So I pushed my pillow and my blanket into the back seat and I climbed into the back and laid down and covered myself up. And I just laid there and stared up at the top of my SUV. And I did not have a sunroof or a moonroof or anything like that. I just was trying to put my eyes on something that would calm my body. I didn't know what it would feel like to be dead. And I'd never thought about this until this exact moment. I was just laying there thinking, well, how will I know when I'm dead? Which is an interesting thought if you think about it. And I started to pay attention to that. How will I know when I'm dead? And then I heard this kind of thought come into my head when the breath stops. I said, okay, So I just stayed with the breath. And I did not know that this was a form of meditation, but I just kind of stayed with the breath. And I just kept saying over and over, I believe in a loving and forgiving God. Whatever happens, I know I'm taken care of. I know I'm loved. Something to that effect, just over and over. And then, am I still breathing? Am I still breathing? And I just kept going with that rhythm. And things just slowed, really slowed down. And the anxiety I was feeling and the nervousness calmed down. And I started to hear what sounded like popping and crackling sounds and feel a sensation like um, prickly skin or pulling. I did not think much of it because I just assumed it was the medications and the alcohol taking effect. So I just kind of said, that's interesting. And I didn't pay much mind to it. And I just continued to breathe and have that same mantra. I believe in a loving and forgiving God, whatever happens here. Am I still breathing? And at some point that crackling and that pulling sensation shifted. And the only way I can explain it with words is it wasn't something outside of me, like prickly skin or popping sounds, I became it and it became louder and louder. I was the cracking and the popping, popping. I was the pulling sensation and that got my interest. And as I apparently moved my interest to that, there was like this whoosh. And all of a sudden I was above my SUV looking down on the body. Again, I didn't have a sunroof or anything like that, but it was as if there was no roof at all. There was no body that was appearing to look at this either. There was just this awareness that I had become of this thing struggling in the car and this connection to, oh, that's you. And yet there was no sadness for it. There was no desire for it to be other than it was. There was no regret. I didn't feel like I needed to try and get back in the car. There was just a kind of an interest or a curiosity. And, and again, that's where my, my mentality kind of stayed for a while was with that. I watched it, you know, kind of wriggling and withering around in the back of the car, looking very uncomfortable, but I wasn't experiencing any pain. I wasn't having any fear, Um, again, no regrets. It's like there were no thoughts happening about this at all. And there was nothing personal being experienced by it. Just again, curiosity. Don't know how long that went on. You'll hear most of us who have had a near-death experience express at least one time. Time and space and words are really challenging to speak to in this equation um but it felt like a few minutes maybe 10 or so minutes that i seemed to be interested or curious about what was going on and then there was more of that kind of sensation of crackling and pulling starting again and just as that was kind of taking hold i saw the body beneath me seem to um get sick And the next thing I knew, I was just boom, 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 pulling, pulling, pulling and pop into what I call this dark abyss. And when you use the word abyss, people often think of it as something terrifying, but it was the most beautiful feeling. Honestly, just this love that I have never experienced in this physical body. And the closest thing that I can tie to it is the very first time I held my newborn son and looked into his eyes and I just felt this overwhelming love that I just, I just never knew my heart could open that wide. It was like that, but times a million. I would have stayed there, happily. I would have just stayed there. And again, I have no idea how long I was there. Because there wasn't a place, and I wasn't separate from it. It's not like I was having these experiences where I was moving about and able to go somewhere else. I was a connection to all of it. So there was nowhere to go or to be, and I was nothing separate. We call this oneness. Some people refer to it as the universe, and some people call it God. Love, whatever you want to refer to it as, I call it nothingness. Because anything we label it becomes a separate thing and it wasn't separate and I wasn't separate. I was all of it. I was so boundless and alive. I was vibrating joy and euphoria. I felt held and loved, but not by something separate from myself. I felt unified in whatever this loving force was. And I just knew there was no death. There was no death. And I was at peace with that. And then more of the popping and the crackling and the sensation of the pulling, again, for lack of better terms, upwards, and the sensation of no body being pulled into a bigger no space, even more broad. And now all of a sudden there were smells like nothing I've ever smelled and sounds like choirs I've never heard and colors, this hue of pink that I have never ever seen the most beautiful baby soft pink, but I wasn't looking at it. I wasn't, I was that color. I was that smell of oh, gardenias or something so floral and magnificent. And I was these beautiful choir of angelic sounds. It was all of it. Bliss is the only word I can put with it. Didn't feel like I needed to go anywhere, be anything, do anything. I didn't feel a calling. I didn't feel a necessity to understand what had just happened apparently beneath me. Again, no sadness or resolve to try and understand any of it. There was just no thoughts, just a beingness of this intentional, pure love. As this carried on, there was the sensation of, or a knowingness of something getting my attention. And this was the first time that there was something that felt separate from me for lack again of better words and i saw almost a motion at first like something um, blurry doing some movement but all of a sudden as i paid attention to that i didn't have to go to it i was there just by giving it any amount of attention i was there and i realized immediately that it was archangel gabriel now i was raised catholic but I didn't know all of the archangels by name. I just was always interested in them. Um, So I don't know how I knew this, I just did. And I felt called to come, so I did. And come just meant be aware and there you are. Very different than being in a physical body where you have to walk to it or even exert any energy. Everything felt like it was just fluid. The closest thing I can describe to it is when you have that buoyant feeling when you're in water and there's nothing to hold on to. And if you just kind of let go, the water will, you know, float you. But it's even more buoyant than that because there's no sensation of a body or a heaviness at all or a fear that you could slip under the water. It's just this floating, beautiful knowingness that you're following this thing. I then seemed to be taken to what felt like a tomb or um, a sacred space. And as we moved towards that, it was the first time again that I started to notice thoughts. So now I had a noticing of something separate and I was having something that felt closer to what I would call thoughts. And these thoughts were trying to say something about not being worthy of being taken to this space. But what I noticed was as soon as that thought tried to take hold, it couldn't. The loving energy that was around this new understanding wouldn't even let it settle anywhere. It was just like it was something old that wanted to see if there was a place to land and there just wasn't. And that felt interesting. So I paid a little bit of attention to that. And I then realized that was taking me into what I would call somewhat of a review of life. I say somewhat of a review of life because it sounds like mine was different than many others in that I didn't have this big review of these things and have things called out as right and wrong or good and bad or sinful and just. It was just a celebration of every experience I had ever had from my first breath, actually before that, from my um, inception into my my parents' lives, into um, who was going to be part of this soul plan, who was going to play which parts, starting to understand what soul plans were, starting to understand why linear um, views of things needed to take place. Place and what the human experience and expression was about. But all of it was parlayed and portrayed to me in a way that made absolute sense. It was just so simple. Yet there seemed to be some other awareness sitting next to that saying, boy, did you overcomplicate this. So it feels like there was this Um, human brain that was getting a download of explanation and although it knew it all it knew that infinite wisdom it's like it was catching it a little bit and saying oh yes there's that gear oh yes there's that gear what I didn't realize was and I do believe this because it's continued to come to me over the last 15 years that all of that came back with me, but I wasn't able to receive all of it right away. But again, the linear brain couldn't break it down into a meaningful um, set of capsules that I could really do anything with. And so it's taken time to see all of it clearly, but that the reason my review was the way that it was, was because there was a knowingness that I was coming back into the body. And there was this, um, alignment to what that would look like when I did come back. Maybe not as a- angry about having to go back, if you will. <laughs> um, and I didn't have any expression of anger towards people who had seemed to have harmed me in this life review or me having harmed them. And it wasn't as though I was just watching a movie. I was having the re-experience of it like I was in the play of it in that real-time moment, and there was a little bit of a celebration, like high-five, we did that together, we completed that soul plan, yes. And even this really tough stuff, or the simple or the harmful stuff, was a celebration. It was just a yes. So that carried on. And I don't know for how long, but again, time and space are just... Completely hard to fathom, but I know that there were quite a few um, bits and components of that that I experienced. And then this sensation of a love that just was pulling at my heart like nothing else. And this young, gorgeous man walked in in front of me. And there was a familiarness to his face or a familiarity. And yet I couldn't place it. And as it moved closer to me and I looked into the eyes, I knew immediately it was my son, who at the time was about six or seven, but in this experience was way older. And I came to find out he was 21 years old. And he was as clear as you are in front of me right now and walked right up to me, was tall, handsome, these glowing, piercing eyes, just as he looks today, and he said, Mom, I need you to come back. We have things yet to do. And as soon as I heard that, there was like this recoiling thing going on in this non-physical presence that knew, okay, you're going to go back. And there was apparently a little bit of a negotiation in that, but that didn't come back with me. That's since been brought to me as a little bit of trying to get to stay. I just, again, felt the sensation that something was calling to me to follow. That same sensation I had had when Archangel Gabriel had done this kind of floating movement um, that I followed, and it was just a legion of angels outside of this tomb or this space, and I just knew that I was to follow. And as I did, again with just a curiosity and that awareness, I was with it, and I was hearing these details, and smelling these smells, and these sensations, and getting these downloads. And the last download that I recalled before re-entering my physical vessel was your only role is to breathe and not resist. The rest is taken care of. And then this pulling sensation and these popping sounds and now a pulling downward sensation back into the abyss. Didn't stay there long at all. And then back into the body. And that felt like shoving sardines in the tiniest tin can, and I just didn't fit in it anymore. But I was euphoric. I was just wanting everyone to know how blissful this life was. And it wasn't connecting yet that I had just killed myself. There were people working on me at the stage. The um, helicopter had arrived because we lived on this tiny island. I had to be helicoptered to the mainlands for the hospital. They were working on me, they were trying to put Air and oxygen and all the things in the helicopter and I'm trying to pull at it because I'm trying to tell them how euphoric I am and they're thinking I'm pulling at it because I don't want to survive but I'm just this euphoric buzzing with aliveness thing just telling them how in love with life I am and they're probably thinking I've damaged my brain from the medications and I'm thinking that a little bit too to be honest and I've never been in a helicopter. So that was a little scary, um, but I was so euphoric. I wasn't taking it on board and it's tiny in there. Like when you're in those helicopters, you know, and they're working on you, they're cutting your clothes off and doing all the things. And we were airlifted to to the hospital and I was wheeled inside to the ER you know, I was put on suicide watch and they started running all the blood tests and realizing that it was way too long for them to, to actually pump my stomach. I had gotten sick and they could see the capsules were empty, so it was way too late. So they just started running blood tests and watching and monitoring me. This is where it gets really fascinating, though. I know people get really hung up in the actual near death experience, but this is where. I started recognizing that I wasn't the same person that had just killed herself. I was laying on the gurney. And if I just even gazed at the wall while I was laying there with the machines beeping and everything else, there's nothing much more to do. If I just even paid attention to the wall or the ceiling, I noticed it began to move like atoms and molecules and, just pixels and um yeah I just if I gave any amount of momentum to to spending time on that I became it I I was part of it I was one of the particles um and so I kept literally looping out of my body throughout that time and doctors were coming in and out checking on me and asking how I was doing, and I was just euphoric. All I wanted to do was run up and down the halls and tell everyone how beautiful life was. I knew they were gonna keep me overnight, at least, and they had notified my family what had happened, and um, my partner at the time was with the children, and so we both agreed that's where he needed to stay. I was fine, I was contained, and we didn't want the kids to be getting upset, so they kind of put you in a little bit of segregation anyway to evaluate you. And so we just made an agreement. We would talk tomorrow and the doctors and nurses were keeping him updated. I had multiple experiences in the ER, incredible experiences with what I call angelic beings that just kept connecting with me in different ways. And I'll only share one because there were several It was like it kept being validated that I was still being looked after and that I hadn't gone crazy. The first was in the hospital ER and I was on the gurney still. They had me in one of those little curtained off rooms, but the curtains were partially open so they could keep an eye on me because this is way before having cameras in every room. And I could see out to the front desk. And if you've ever been in a busy ER, it's, you know, there's stuff going on. It's chaotic. There's nurses and doctors and everybody moving about. And it was no different in this ER. Uh, A guy had come in with, it appeared to be his wife or girlfriend in a wheelchair. And he wheeled her up to the desk. um, And she was out of it. I don't know what she was on, but it was obvious medication or alcohol or something. Her body was just, you know loopy in this wheelchair and he was trying to get her help and she was getting sick into a bucket and the whole nine yards so he's having a pretty heated conversation with the nursing staff and the doctors not really paying attention to her and at some stage this you know I'm not kidding she was just a wet noodle made eye contact with me and she straightened right up and she looked me right in the eye, and she lifted out of the wheelchair, and she came towards me, and I wasn't afraid. I felt completely at peace, and she kind of fell into my gurney, and right into my eyes, and she said, I see you, and at this point, her partner noticed this had happened. The nurses noticed, and they all came in, and grabbed her, and pulled her back into the wheelchair, but her and I were still having this eye connection, and the Hairs on my arms were standing up, and it was just really surreal. And I was like, what, what the heck? You have done something to your brain. And I really started to think that I had brain damage. At that time, the doctors and nurses came in to see if I was okay because I was kind of shaken up about what had just happened, but I was still euphoric and just wanted her to be okay. And the doctor said, how are you feeling? Are you having any weird sensations? Are you noticing things that maybe you shouldn't be, which I to this day think is a hysterical question. And that was the first time I heard what I now know is my birth guy, Bernadette, who was sitting on the cot as real as this physical body is to me now. And she just said, don't tell them they'll lock you up. You need to trust us something to that effect. And again, there was this knowingness to trust it. And at the same time, there was this doubt that was saying you've really damaged your brain, but what are your options here? Get locked up or check out this new possibility. So I just said to the doctor, no, I'm fine, doctor. I just think something really incredible happened. And I will never harm myself again. I think life is beautiful. I just want everyone to know that. Whatever I experienced was so profound. I'm okay. He kind of did, you know, one of these, okay, lady. (laughs) And went out to the station and called my partner to say, we're going to keep her for the night. And off we went. So these experiences carried on for, for weeks. I could go on forever about, them. and I have hundreds of YouTubes where I have but that's the gist of the actual near-death experience and yeah it still feels like I'm telling someone else's story and yet it feels like it was just yesterday just very surreal what happened during that time.
1: So during your life review every experience that you had in your life it was a celebration. Yes. How about the reasons that you decided to commit suicide? Those reasons were a celebration too?
0: Yes. I saw a video that really helped me put words to it. So I'll kind of explain that video first and then I'll explain it a little bit more. And somebody had taken up a clear cylinder vase. And they had filled it with little stones. And they said, is this full now? And we said, yes. And then they put some water in it. And they said, is this full now? And we said, absolutely. There's nothing left there. And then they poured some sand in the top. And the sand went down into the water and filled all the gaps between the rocks and the water. And now there was nothing and now is it full. How do I explain it? We live in duality. So we have all these crevices of belief systems that tell us right and wrong and good and bad. But when you're all of it, like the cylinder becomes one, there is no duality. So there's no right and wrong. Those are concepts. We have to have them in the linear body. Our linear constructs need to have that. As God or oneness or all of it so we cannot express any of it uniquely to know itself it had to have this apparent breakaway into a this and a that a love and a hate a right and a wrong a good and a bad but none of those are true they're just concepts to allow us to experience all of this so what I was downloading in my review was When you're in the body, of course there's right and wrong. But when you're here with us looking at it, we just simply see it as experience being experienced. There's nothing dualistic or personal about it. So that was the download. was just all of it's been expressed perfectly.
1: Okay, so how about the real like real hardcore criminals or killers and I don't want to go with the list go on. Do they feel like a celebration when they have their life review?
0: So that's a great question. Um, I only had my review but I can say this. I had a very horrific experience when I was a little girl and I had um a review with the person who committed that act against me. And yes, that's the only one I can um, relate to was that I was shown that regardless of the activities they seem to carry out in their soul plans, they too were linked into those with the folks that those were happening with. And I know that's really hard for people to hear and understand because it triggers people who have had murders in their family or like you said, horrific criminals in their lives that have broken their families up. And I don't ever want to seem like I don't have empathy or sympathy to that. I can only express what I experienced, which was complete forgiveness with this other soul and not only complete forgiveness, but an understanding that forgiveness also is a dualistic component that is not necessary. When there are not two, there's no other to forgive. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for that, Kelly, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to have doubts about that. They're going to say, no way, we, we cannot accept a, a debt of a, of a little child. He's completely innocent, you know that. Well, let's move to another, another question. I like your line very nicely. Only breathe and don't resist. Everything else will be taken care of. Yes. This is a beautiful line. If you can elaborate a little bit on that.
0: Yeah, I didn't understand it either when I came back. I just knew that there was going to be something profound related to it and that it would stay with me very impactfully. But I didn't know how impactful. So over the last 15 years, it's evolved to a level of experiential understanding versus just a knowing Something in me knew, it made sense, it resonated in my heart, and it made me feel peaceful, but I still didn't trust it. So for 15 years, experientially, that trust has grown. We often feel that we are the doer in this physical realm. And we lose hold of the fact that we have this whole energy that we are a part of again, called God, universe, love, whatever you refer to it as, even if you're atheist and you don't believe in a higher power, you certainly believe that there is something, something, even if it's just yourself. Take that understanding and recognize that you've never told your lungs to breathe or your heart to beat, yet something has encouraged that to continue to happen we move through with some unwavering faith with certain things, which I think is hilarious. And as humans, we proclaim to have five senses. And we really utilize those five senses, touch, smell, sight, taste, sound. But there's way more senses than we're aware of. And there is a vibrational understanding of, We sometimes call them universal laws, but we haven't even etched or touched on how many of those boundless universal laws there are. Breathe and don't resist is completely tied into that. It is an awareness that infinite wisdom is always being fed to us and that everything that we need for this journey is taken care of. When we are guided in that in a loving and meaningful way that is far more complex than our understanding however we limit ourselves by saying i have five senses or i'm aware of this within my visibility yet we've never said well i haven't pulled my lungs out to see if they're breathing or my heart to see if it's beating i've just had unwavering faith yet we don't give that to other areas and that's what the breathing, Not Resist is trying to get us to do. So allow other areas we just can't even conceptualize to be part of our lives. I call it magic.
1: It is magic. I mean, we don't think about it. That we breathe, that we live in air. There is air around us. Like there is water around fish yeah. in the ocean. And we yeah. live in this air like the fish would not be able to live in the air. They live in the water. So we accept this, uh, take it right. for granted, we never think about it. Even the heart, like you said, it beats all the time for whatever time you have on this earth, it beats all the time. And you were trying to stop your heart. I mean... <laughs> yes.
0: Can't fathom it now. Can't fathom it
1: now. Now you said that you came back after that. How long, by the way, was in, in real earthly time? How long was your, how long you were dead?
0: We know from the time the ambulance started working on me to the time that they were able to get me in the um, helicopter, um, approximately 18 minutes, I was in and out, in and out, pronounced dead. Um, I don't know how long prior to them finding me that they were working on me, but I do know that I was up in that bluff area for about three hours. And if the construction worker of that lot, he literally had no intention of going there that day, but he just had this weird like, oh, we're starting our work there on Monday, I better just take a peek up there and make sure they laid all the right, um, uh, what do you call them, where you line the construction zone so that we can get to work. And if he had not gone up there, again, these synchronicities, my body probably wouldn't have been found until Monday.
1: Yeah, so this construction worker was a part of the plan.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the ability to call. Yes. Yes.
1: To put all the puzzles together. So you said that you came back from this experience completely changed person. It's been 15 years. And you never came back to your old Kelly, you always for 15 years been the new person.
0: Yeah, this has been quite a healing journey. People who hear my story think, oh, she's so lucky and it's incredible that she had like an instant awakening, um, good for her. But what they don't see is the 15 years of learning to drive this new vehicle and have these newfound sensations and experiences and no handbook. Yes, I have my God squad, I have my guidance system, but I was still stubborn. I was still very humanly, humanistically, egoically stubborn. Um, and for a couple of years, I really did chase the dragon of wanting to recreate that euphoric experience. It took a while to settle into this and understand that all of my needs were coming to me Breathe and don't resist. The rest is taken care of. And there was a level of maturity that had to come with that and an earnestness to meet that level of maturity, spiritual maturity, and not try to spiritually bypass a lot of things, thinking, oh, you just had this big awakening. You should be able to know that. Um, the ego has been checked and rechecked so many times um, and the shadow work has continued to go on. And I say to people, if you ever hear me say, I'm done, run and don't look back because we're never done. This is, this is an ongoing process of unraveling, and we are infinite beings, and there's infinite knowledge to explore. And that's the only intention of our being in this body.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that some people say, Oh, you're lucky that you got this experience. You know, I, uh, I read the comments under my videos, and uh, there are comments like this. People say, I wish I had an NDE, or I can't wait to have one. Uh, it sounds strange to me. I know they want the experience, but they don't want the pain, and they probably don't mean it.
0: I think they think that it somehow elevates you. Yeah, I think that they sometimes think, in response to what you were saying about people in your comments, saying things like, I wish I could have an NDE, I think they sometimes maybe think that it somehow elevates you or puts you on a hierarchy spiritually above other people, and that's not it at all. We're all right where we're supposed to be. Um, In my soul plan, this was part of it. I truly know that. So um, your version may not be the same as mine. That's why there's so many different expressions of this. There's lots of similarities, but there's lots of differences too.
1: Now, Kelly, what do you think was your purpose of coming back to Earth?
0: To love. To be an expression of love that isn't words. To be able to be with people and have them say things. And I'm not saying this to toot my horn because it has nothing to do with me. But to be such a level of peace that when I'm with people, they say, I feel like I'm wrapped in a warm blanket when I'm with you. What is that? And I say, it's how I feel myself. So I'm so happy to feel you feel that expression too. It's not a doing, it's just a beingness. Um, And to allow that expression of love to be felt by others in a way that maybe gives them a modicum of not hope, because I think hope is saying it could happen, but faith, which to me says hope has died so that faith can set in. And faith does the work. It's, it's that mustard seed that plants itself and starts to cultivate itself. Um, and I think that's my purpose. It's that subtle.
1: Now I'm going to come back to the doctor. doctor's remark. I think it was funny. He said... Have you seen anything you shouldn't see?
0: It cracks me up to this day. To this day.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) He did. He did, And this was 15 years ago. I think he suspected... They probably
1: teach that in medical school.
0: Yes, and I also think that part of him has heard this. Part of him has heard this before, which is why I think when I started to say that I was having that, and he kind of walked out and went kind of like, okay, lady... I knew, don't go there with him. He's not open to this at all.
1: Yeah, they kind of look uh, at you guys coincidentally. When somebody thinks that he's above you, he knows more than you're a little crazy. So this is what doctors think about. Oh, condescending. Like, not all of them, but yeah, condescending. okay.
0: Condescending, yes.
1: Yeah, I know how to. I know how to write the word, I know how to read it, I don't know how to pronounce it. Because I never used it. It's the first time I'm trying (laughs) to use the word. (laughs) I love it. So you see, you premeditated this suicide for a long time, and you even chose a beautiful place and beautiful time. And the ocean view and the sunset. That was your idea of going to the infinity.
0: Yeah, it was important to me to feel peaceful. It was important for me to feel a sensation of that peace and that sanctuary and knowing that I was loved. That was important to me.
1: Now, Kelly, what is your definition of God? And if people want to find more about you, about your work, about what you do, where they can find that, if you'd like to share?
0: Yeah, my my whole... um, channel is called nurture your soul. I have a YouTube, a Facebook page, and an Instagram. I don't market. I don't, you know, do any of that. I love doing these interviews. I've done several with Ians and other community groups. This is something I do because I, I feel like this somehow gives people a sense of, um, peace if they've lost someone through suicide or death. Um, and that's my only intention. I do, however, work one-on-one with clients, which is separate from this work. Um, so I'm always very honest about that um, because this did open up a psychic, intuitive mediumship within me. Um, and that's something that I still do to this day. But really, these interviews and getting this message out about breathing and not resisting and working on your inner self is, is the most Passionate work that I do that I'm called to for sure.
1: Thank you for watching About Freedom Show. I really appreciate you. Click on one of the videos below and don't forget to subscribe.